Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Aparuta de Sangamatasatawara Yetsodavanta Bamunchantu Satang. So this is the uh, observance and uh, the end of the uh, community retreat. Uh, I always find the when we practice together, I find that quite, uh, you know, it's uh, something very supportive in in uh, that experience for me personally. I kind of feel the whole community is pulling together. Sometimes in community life, it seems like everybody's going their own way. And uh, at least at those moments, you have this sense of a communal endeavor. And of course, the the aim is uh, awareness. Uh, you know, the, that's the constant reminder, the refrain. The the thing to you know the the data da, the as is the suchness. Benyang ni eng, reflection, and so like in uh, Niroda, in the third noble truth, this is how to use that cessation uh, and so this uh, you know if I've tried to explain it it's it's very difficult to put into words because it's uh, it's experiential it's not you know the more you describe it the you can you know you try to figure it out and you have to and the more you try to figure it out the further you get from it so Niroda or cessation I mean, just logically speaking, with you know, in dualistic language, you get it sounds like <clears throat> cessation sounds like extinction or annihilation. It's just like you know, when with uh, contemplating zero seems like nothing, doesn't it? Zero is nothing, and yet without zero, the rest. Just doesn't make sense, you know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine—the digits—and so, so. The, but logically speaking, you know, in the thinking mind, uh, the logic that comes from thinking is very limited to that, to either extreme, either zero representing totality or nothing, because you can use zero as representing the whole. Or uh, the the symbol for nothing at all, and so mindfulness then is 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 really zero. <laughs> By you know, in terms of trying to explain it, it becomes complicated because it's not complicated at all. Just like zero, uh, the more you try to f- think about zero, the more kind of twisted you get into your thinking mind. And so right understanding or samaditi to me is zero. 
is like you, the Naroda, the reality of Naroda is just pure awareness, emptiness, non-attachment. And so recognizing this through insight, through observing, you know, in, in uh, the present moment, you know, so it's not like extinction of yourself and and your body doesn't disappear and uh, <laughs> and you go into an unconscious state. And, but to that being able to witness and observe when the, when the ego is not present or the sense of a self, separate self, because that all is are the digits. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And so <laughs> you get into into the sense of yourself and it gets increasingly more complicated. So the ego is incredibly complicated. Uh, we talk about being neurotic because, you know, the more modern society tends towards neuroses because of this endless complication of the ego. You know, we're no longer just basically, you know, creatures surviving with, uh, uh, you know, sexual desire and anger and primal conditions, but we're guilt-ridden, fear-ridden, ang anxiety-ridden personalities, uh, always uh, caught in, in a complexity of self uh, that g increases the more you try to figure it out and think about it. So that's why with the uh, reflection on the Four Noble Truths, you're actually, you know, taking something very basic, suffering, and examining, investigating, till you see the end of suffering in the, the, the Naroda. So Naroda is an, is an extinction of, you know, the, the, as annihilation, but it's empty. And, and that awareness, the awareness of emptiness. Now when you begin to really trust that, then you can really uh, let go of everything. Because it's like all the worldly problems, communal problems, personal problems, emotional problems, all the problems uh, that, that we can create around society, about community, about personality, relationships with each other, um, population problems, political, economic, social, it goes on and on. You know, there's so many people now on this planet and there's um, never been, you know, recorded history, this many human beings alive at one time. The planet doesn't seem so big anymore either. You know, it's not like it was, say, several hundred years ago. It seemed, you know, the wildernesses of North America, Canada, <laughs> vast places where you could disappear. And now you've got your cell phone even in, on top of Mount Everest. <laughs> so uh, this is a modern life is, is a, you know, and it's many kind of fantastic ways is also uh, can be very stressful because it's so complicated and and it, and it just complications lead towards more complications 
So Naroda then is, is, is say when when I recite Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tavra, the the gates to the deathless are open. And so this is this is the the joyous news, you know. There is the 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 gate to the deathless, and that gate then is the awareness, mindfulness, sati sampatanya. And so then, what I've done with that is uh, just use like the world. We all have problems in the part of our vipaka kama of being a human individual with. Uh, you know, having lived 72 years and uh, having uh, memories and being part of a community, being a monk, being uh, the kind of background I have, the character and all that, uh, these conditions arise, the, the emotional habits. Now then in Naroda, it's like, I'm talking about knowing the world, what I do is I, I, I listen, I, I'm aware of this feeling of anguish or uh, unhappiness or, you know, the, the burdensomeness of carrying responsibilities or um, worrying about the, the Sangha or uh, problems, personal problems with others or with the community or with the society. Now all these things are, you know, it's not that I don't experience these, but but then in terms of vipaka kama, uh, then this ability to to trust in in ground zero, in awareness and emptiness, where then I get a feeling for the world as I'm experiencing it in the present. The world of, of, my, of my, say, putting it in conventional terms, my vipaka kama. So it can seem very personal and, uh, and uh, you know, urgent or troublesome or frightening or irritating or frustrating. But if I stop thinking, about it, trying to figure out what to do about it, how to solve the problems, how to get over the obstacles. If I if I just trust in the awareness, then I get this this, this sense of this world, not not through a kind of uh, figuring it out, but just this this sense of dukkha, or this feeling of frustration, or or burden being burdened by life. It's like this. So it's a sense, a kind of sense of, of the world without trying to define it or, or kind of interfere with it, just not recognizing the dukkha or the, the sense of frustration, irritation, uh, despair, worry, whatever that, that happens to be acknowledged in the presence like this. Then in that recognition, you know, my refuge is in the emptiness, the stillness, the sound of silence. 
And if I'm patient, abiding in the silence, then I notice that the world drops away. Now this is my, this is how I've resolved these, this uh, suffering in my life as a Buddhist monk. <laughs> and I can actually be aware, you know, it's discernible, it's noticeable when, when there is this, I'd say, uneasy feeling or dread or frustration, just by allowing it to be what it is, totally allowing it, you know, without, you know, trying to control or do anything about it, but resting in the, in the stillness. Now I experience the sound of silence as stillness or emptiness. Because it, it's empty, the ego drops the, the tendency to want to solve the problems and figure everything out and have an answer to the questions, solution to all the problems, that drops away. Then the lingering kind of mood, or a ramana still hangs around, a kind of emotional turmoil or confusion, sense of confusion or lingering energetic uh, quality still can remain. And then that, you know, as I totally accept it through awareness, then it drops. Cessation. So the world ceases. That's the end of the world. <laughs> and so this is the... And this is what Shah was always saying, the end of the world is here. <laughs> Now then, developing this, in, 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 you know, cultivating this is a real bhavana or meditation. And it's, it is real, you know, it is the path, developing, cultivating the Eightfold Path or the Majjhima Bhattibhata. Uh, and so, and this is what we do, like we've been on formal retreat and then kind of controlled conditions and and, and Sangha agreements and so forth. And now they, uh, the, the kind of winter retreat period uh, comes to an end uh, and, the, and the other thing, and the changing conditions. Then the, the developing the path is part of, you know, is not, is not put aside for the next winter's retreat. If you're doing that, you've missed the point. <laughs> you just become a retreat junkie. You know, you get addicted to meditation retreats, which is certainly a good addiction. I'm not against it, but I'm trying to not to to say that's where it's at. You know, that's what you always have to be on a special retreat uh, in order to really practice. But uh, the real, you know, the the flow of life, consciousness itself, daily life. You know, whatever you're involved with, meetings or making things or or doing things, working, sitting still, walking, standing, lying down, uh, whatever state you're in, physically or or mentally, emotionally, is still this path is still ever ever present. And so, in the you know, in terms of the poly, poly words, uh, I quite you know they talk about vipaka kama. And uh, and karma, the word kama, 
is a is an interesting word because it can be used for you know kind of my karma kind of thing it can be sakyaditi it's my karma you know and that or it uh, uh, you know we think of it as as you know what what did I you know previous life karma and future karma and we can we can create a self around the word karma and the concept of karma but what this this word really points to is this is right now this is the the karma of of being born you know if I'd never been born I wouldn't be 72 and a half years old right now or the body wouldn't be so the result of birth cause and effect isn't it birth and then the say physical birth 73 years ago and then this is the result well I'll apply that to you know the the we part the, in the scriptures, even the Gotama, the Buddha. You know, his vipaka kama arose also. You know, so he he was, didn't become the Buddha, and then uh, there was no karma experienced after that. He certainly had to deal with all kinds of problems, sangha problems, and and uh, difficulties in, uh, in you know, just like anyone else has to. In fact, you know, when you read the scriptures, he's, uh, you know, he had to deal with a lot more difficult situations than I've ever had in my life. Nobody's ever tried to kill me yet. I've never had to see how to be mindful and totally centered when a drunken elephant is chasing me. <laughs> but the Buddha did in the scriptures. I mean, so this is, these are, you know, these are, uh, of course, we think, well, he's a magic. He's like a magician, you know. It doesn't matter with him. I mean, what these are pointing to, vipaka kama. Is, you know, we can assume, we we make assumptions about the historical Buddha, and and it makes the Buddha such a remote figure, a kind of Superman, you know, Superman that can tackle evil in all its forms and stop drunken elephants in their tracks and serial killers and so forth and do all the right things. So we can read uh, the scripture like the Buddha was really Superman. Or, you know, is it more like pointing to, you know, the scripture is is not to be grasped and, and just to be used for, uh, you know, inspiration or for personal interpretation. It's actually, you know, a skillful teaching pointing to reality here and now. So... So in, in this way, the vipaka kama that I'm experiencing now is just this. The the physical body, the the uh, in what you know the uh, uh, emotional quality that I'm experiencing now, and so then this this we can always be aware of because it's always present. If you specu speculate about me karma of the past, it's still speculation, isn't it? You know, you try to, you try to figure out what I did in the past to, to, to have these problems now. It still gets back into the Sakya Diti mode. So that's not the point, trying to, to figure out, you know, what, you, what previous life, 
you know, what kind of previous life did I have to be born uh, in, in this in this form in this life? Well, I can speculate, and uh, you know, I can. It's rather interesting to do so, and people, you know, can come and read your palm or your aura and things like this, and, and they pick up on your past lives, and they tell me, and. Um, you know, doesn't seem to make any difference <laughs> in terms of the vipaka kama now. It's interesting, though. I must admit, <laughs> but uh, but that's not the point, isn't it? A lot. There's many interesting things. Sangsara is incredibly interesting. You know, conditions are fascinating. Some of them. So it's not about what's interesting. But what is the, the way it is, the suchness? So that's why on this this retreat, I'm trying to emphasize, and you know, I keep trying to to encourage. Uh, I'm not trying to intimidate you or tell you, you know, how you should practice. But it's what I'm saying, no matter how you might interpret it, is is a really an encouragement to trust yourself. I don't mean trust your sakyaditi, but to trust this awareness, you know, so you begin to, to you know, you don't, when you conceive yourself always in terms of defilements and kilesas and personal qualities and things, then you don't, you can't trust that because it, it's so changeable and then we tend to, to see ourselves in always these very restricted ways of, uh, you know, of diminishing ourselves or exaggerating ourselves. But if you if you get to the if you begin to trust awareness, then you you're getting it's here and now, and you don't create it. It's not personal. The gate to the deathless, and it's just this. And so when I use the word consciousness, then it's. It, it, because in terms of actual experience here and now, consciousness is an ongoing experience, no matter what my vipaka kama on a personal level might be. You know, whether I'm feeling happy or sad or, or, or elated or depressed or bored or fed up or confused or whatever, on the condition level, it, it's still conscious. In emptiness, there's still consciousness operating. Non-attachment. I don't go unconscious. There, but there's a consciousness with wisdom, with mindfulness, wisdom. So then, this is the the, the path of to cultivate, to develop. And that's what bhavana means. The Pali word bhavana developing and trusting because you don't develop it by making yourself mindful you learn you recognize this is it and trust it and uh, to trust in this sense or sada the Pali word sada is like recognize something you recognize so it's not a creation you know you're not trying to create a special kind of Samadhi state 
but you're you're just recognizing something very immediate here and now, and that to me is is a, this kind of poised attention, alertness, attentiveness, and on terms of quality, you don't think it's anything. You know, you you might be looking for some kind of blissful state. Uh, you know, some you know kind of get blissed out, you know, and float up into the sky, but it's it's ordinary. It's not it's not like high as a kite and blissed out of this planet. But it <laughs> it's allowing even the conditions that you're experiencing to be what they are. Physically, uh, you know, you have pain or disease or age or or emotionally, you know, distressed, confused. But behind all these conditions is this stillness. Consciousness is still here and now. And you recognizing it's just this. Then in terms of daily life, as you keep trusting it more, you recognize, then you you integrate it into to the the life we live here at Amravati in both its formal meditation practices, uh, retreats, or ordinary daily life in the office or kitchen or garden or kuti or whatever, with whoever you're with. You know, there's not not uh, not, it's not a matter of having to to have a, your good friends around you to get it. Because emptiness then allows everything to be what it is. It's not just like, you know, space doesn't pick and choose. Like when we look at, uh, observe space, you know, it doesn't say, I only want these kind of people in this space uh, and the rest have to go. <laughs> Now, now, a person might, you know, if I'm if I'm being fussy, and I have, have personal preferences, and prejudices, and all that, then I say only these people are allowed in, and the rest have to go out. <laughs> but that's that's uh, that's sakaditi again. So, like now we say with awareness, we're beginning to to recognize spaciousness, infinity unconditioned reality cessation recognize it it's it's real it's not it's not a contrived state or an abstract idea or a philosophical concept so it's reality it's real and this is, this is as you as you recognize this more and more this reality the rea reality really takes you over it's not not just a wispy kind of uh, effect that, that you have, a passing phase, a, a kind of passing flash of reality and it's gone. So in my own experience as a monk over these 40 years, over 40 years now, this, this, this uh, the reality, you know, it's stronger and stronger. It's so, it, the, this is real, so, so you know, the it's like you can't you can't see how you could have not seen it before. 
And so a bit frustrating when you're trying to, to encourage people and they, you know, they keep not getting it. They <laughs> and, you know, so you, because it's nothing kind of ab difficult. It's not that difficult. Now, on a personal level, you can make it difficult if you want. You know, and I, on a personal level, if I drift back into my personality, the sense of myself and worth, and on on the sakyaditi level, it just you know you, I'm stuck in that. And you know, after forty years, over forty years of monastic life and Buddhist meditation, if I if I give it, get stuck in my sakyaditi, it's like I haven't accomplished anything. I'm nowhere. You know, I still can feel angry over this or frustrated over that or, you know, still get offended and and confused by life. Because that's what personalities do. You know, they're, they're uh, anicca, they're dukkha, they're anatta. And they're conditioned and they're vipaka kamma. So you can't expect to get liberated through personal, uh, through your personality, as a person, as somebody doing something, as a, you know, as, as whatever your identities are and your personal attachments might be, um, you know, they're grand or petty or whatever their quality might be. So that's where the impersonal or the anatta is, is awareness itself. So like Nibbana, Anatta, um, the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unoriginated. It, this is reality. This, so you, you're recognizing it, reality, and then, then you have perspective. You have uh, a way of looking at the conditions, which is not based on, on conditioning. It's a discernment, a wisdom faculty of discerning. So then, the, then we can, then the conditions are no longer the problem. You know, the personality is not the problem. The cultural conditioning, uh, one's vipaka kama, uh, character tendencies, astro astrological sign, previous lives, talents, no talents, gifts, no gifts. Success or failure or whatever; these are these are no longer, you know, conditions that we identify with. We see the futility and the suffering of attachment. So in uh, in the Buddha, this Tamajaka Pavatana Sutta, you know, it's it's a it's a, such a perfect map for uh, insight. Because it, I mean everything's there in it. It's a matter of uh, you know of, of uh, doing it really, of applying it. So that's what I've been trying to encourage you all in uh, life here at Amravati to uh, you know to say empower you or encourage you <laughs> that you can do it rather than. I don't think you're quite ready yet, or you know, give you more sense of of your own limitation, because you you're very good at that already.
So, you know, for me to tell you, you know, that, you know, that you're, you're not advanced enough for this ultimate practice, what does that do, you know, if I say that to you? You know, it feeds your sense of sakyaditi again, doesn't it? Well, Ajahn Sumedho said, I'm, I'm still, you know, I have to get rid of my lust and, and anger and things like this and I need to work on myself more because, uh, and on and on like that. And not, not that that is untrue, you know, but it's, it's like, like, it, you know, in the position I'm in, I have a lot of uh, influence over here. So I don't want to use this position to reinforce delusion in any in any way whatsoever. So that's where this, you know, no matter what you think you are, or your ability or lack of ability or whatever, that's not you know that I'm I'm not criticizing it or denying it, but trying to put it in a context where you can actually begin a different mode of perceiving self, not the critical mode that comes from thinking and analysis. Like when you see yourself on a personal level, we tend to move into criticism, the shoulds and shouldn'ts. Our awareness is not critical, it's not, it's not personal. It's not about you as a person anymore, but awakening to Dhamma, it's about puto tamo. Now on the condition level, um, you know, communal life, Sangha life can be very confusing because, uh, you know, there's so many factors and, and there's responsibilities and duties and relationships and and structures and rules and precepts and and then uh, you know the our own character tendencies influence consciousness and when when we try to understand the conditioned realm and figure it all out there's just too much to handle for human human consciousness recognize you know just the limitation of, of having a physical body, being a, a physical being, human body that's conscious. And then, you know, when you're in a, in a senior position, then there's a lot of expectation, demand, or that placed on, you know, the, the sense of duty, responsibility, being an example, setting a good example, um, and on and on like this, you know, so one can feel burdened, especially as you get senior, it's the burden of, of, of having to have duties and responsibilities and make decisions and deal with all the emotional projections and reactions that people have towards you. Because when, you, when you're like in, in an authoritative position, then the, it's, a, you know, people are going to uh, you know, sometimes hate you. So, <laughs> you know, because you say no, maybe they don't, they want to hear yes. And and you've got this power to deny or 
decide things that maybe people don't like and don't want to hear, don't want to do. So that's where, you know, we're not, then we end up trying to please everybody, taking everybody's desires into account, everybody's opinion. So you end up in meetings, endless, boring meetings, where everybody's expressing their opinion. And uh, that gets tedious too. So the, the, the important, uh, the essence then is awareness. You know, not in trying to make everybody happy or, you know, meet everybody's expectations or demands, but to trust in your awareness. And see what happens. Take the risk. Because, uh, you know, when we, when, when, when I as a person am trying to please and meet everybody's needs, on a personal level, I just get very, very confused. I get exasperated because I can't do it. It's an impossible task. All I want to do is go away. Get out of here. Be by myself. Go up to a cave in the Himalayas. Listen to the sound of the water falling. Write Zen poetry. Contemplate the meaning of life and not have to sit through boring meetings and, and listen to everybody's whinging complaints and opinions and views and criticisms. Now that, that's because it's still personal. It's, you know, I can't do it on a personal, in a personal, on a personal level. So then the only, you know, it kind of forces you compelled me to to really trust in this awareness because it's the only way I could survive in this position, in this community. Otherwise it'd be too unpleasant for, you know, on a personal to try to please all of you and meet all your requests and hear all your complaints. So so then the the you know and, and I'm not complete complaining about that. I'm not asking you not to do that. But, because that's just the way the world is. You know, everybody has their own particular view, their own preference, their own view, uh, opinion. Uh, you know, and then we've, we're very international, so we've got people from all different cultural backgrounds and so forth. Ages, uh, different and monks and nuns and and so forth. So we we we've got you know a lot of conditions affecting us, and uh, and the then the then the way to deal with that, you know, is to know the world as the world. Trust in this stillness, this silence. And let uh, let the world cease. Don't carry, uh, you know, determine not to carry the world around with you. And have this, this figure carrying the, the planet, the globe, you know. Wearisome task, trying to hold this burden up. You know, and you can't do it. You know, you know it crashing down on you.
And that's what it seems like on a in a personal uh, on a personal level. Just speaking from my own experience. So in the impersonal, then the, the world ends all the time. So you're not carrying the world with. I'm not carrying the world with me. And when I do, sometimes I get caught carrying the world around back to my kuti. <laughs> But I know better, you know, so I can resolve it. You know, I know how to let it go. How not to just keep kind of stuck to it and let it, let it, uh, you know, make me miserable. So that's where, you know, the, this the emphasis, say, on the unconditioned. Now, I've been criticized. I remember... In, you know, because I, I even talk about Nibbana. And, um, and I remember in Thailand one time, they used to give these retreats at the Buddhist Youth Association in Tonbury. There was an Abhidhamma teacher that used to always criticize me. She was, she was most critical, one of the most critical people I've ever met. <laughs> Thai woman. And she, uh, you know, I give it, uh, a week-long retreat, and then she'd come up and say, Venerable Senator, you know, you shouldn't mention Nibbana. You talk. <laughs> and uh, it struck me, because I guess in Abhidhamma, it's, uh, you know, you don't do that. But then, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, then contemplating, because it is a word that is, uh, you know, part of the whole Buddhist, uh, you know, it's the, to realize Nibbana. You know, when we ordain, isn't it? When we take the, the Upasambhada, the Bhapata, to realize Nibbana. So at the, after, the, after the whole, you know, procedure, then I recite this in the Pali, and then I read the translation. To realize Nibbana is the goal of the holy life. Well, what is that? What is the reali realization of Nibbana? Now, these are English words. Nibbana is not an English word, but with tape. <laughs> but realize is. Realize Nibbana. Nibbana is reality. But on a personal level, Nibbana sounds like an attainment. Like a state you attain. So, you know, from the Sakya Ditti level, me trying to attain Nibbana, I can't do it. Personally, my personality is not, you know, has nothing to do with Nibbana. Because my personality changes and is not reality. It, it changes according to conditions. You know, so praise, happy, criticize, unhappy. <laughs> personality goes up and down. But... So, realizing Nibbana can't be from a personal level. Then the word realize, reality, isn't it? What's real? Get real, they say. And then this is the insight into the Third Noble Truth. Realize, isn't it? Realize cessation. Cessation is real. It's not... It's not a precious state that you, that depends on other things. It's just recognizing it. 
awakening, recognizing, realizing this this is real, this emptiness, this that 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 is accessible within this human form, within the limitation of this karmic formation and personality. The only way out of it and the only way liberation from it is through realizing it. All conditions are impermanent and not self. And so this is what I refer to as the unconditioned. It's unconditioned. It's real. And you know, it's interesting now in the and uh, you hear these discussions about nature of God and uh, and the uh, creation theory versus evolution, and uh, you know the born again Christians are very much committed to you know the creation theory you know, that God created the world, and according to the Old Testament, and then the evolutionists. You know, so God created the world six days, and then uh, seventh day rested. <laughs> so that's what it says, I think, in the Bible. <laughs> and then we take the word day, we have the English translations, and we take them literally, so day is 24 hours. And so God created, you know, it's supposed to created the world 10,000 years ago in six days. Now, you know, this is, this is going against evolution, isn't it? You know, because, you, you know, the age of the planet and that is not, you know, 10,000 years ago is not very long ago. When you've got, you know, you can trace, you know, dinosaurs and, and, uh, <laughs> and geology and all kinds of things. I have a fossil in my, in my cootie, you know, it's like, uh, 30 million years ago. <laughs> and these are like fossilized, some kind of creature, you know, probably under the sea. And, uh, you know, what, what about that? No, it's wrong. It can't be because God created the world 10,000 years ago in six days. Now, in terms of, you know, when, now if one's accepting a literal interpretation of the English translation of the Old Testament, you know, then that you're grasping this this particular view, and so everything has to come from that viewpoint. No, you have to. You you've decided on this is is true. This is real, and therefore anything that contradicts that is wrong or evil or heretical. And so this is what, you know, grasping a view does. Is it, you know, you, you know, it might even, you know, I'm, I don't really care about when God created the world or if there is a God that created the world. To me, that, that isn't the issue. But if, you know, if you're, if you're grasping a view, a religious view, then, then the result is you've got to, you feel, it's the division. You've got to hold on to the purity. You've got to convert everybody to the right view. And, and then, then, the, then the problems arise, the divisions, the sectarian hatreds, the, 
you know, that, that we see in all religious groups and among religions or between atheists and theists and whatnot. People that hold to viewpoints. So recognize in the, you know, the Buddha was pointing not to a view. There's no, there's no doctrine that you grasp about creation. Uh, it's not about evolution or scientific theories of evolution or about Old Testament, you know, denying the Old Testament or anything else. It's, it's uh, awakening to Dhamma, Puto Tamo. So that is here and now. It's not about believing in something you read in the book or the scriptures. But it's, it's, it's uh, recognizing, pointing to the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. So in, like in the Satipatthana practice, it's always investigating these different ways of looking at the body, at feelings, mental conditions. The Dhamma itself, seeing, using the, the, dhamma, the dhamma terms in order to, to, it's a way of looking at the present moment. The, the experience of now as as you as we each individually experience it through the vipaka kama that we're we're uh, recognizing at this very moment well that then is zero isn't it we're starting with not with a position but from awareness that's not a viewpoint that's not a doctrine you're not trying to make mindfulness into some kind of Buddhist doctrine that you grasp, but, you know, beginning to just recognize, realize this imminent reality that is, that's here and now, Pachubana Dhamma. And so mindfulness, the path to the deathless, the gates to the deathless are open, They're talking about the deathless. Amravati means the deathless realm. And uh, you know, so these these words, you know, they're this is very important in, in the in, you know in the Buddhist terminology, the Buddhist structures for practice. Uh, you know, it's there, very clearly stated. But then when you try to think about the deathless, you just get confused. You know, it remains too abstract, too, you know, kind of immortality or no self, you know, anatta. You mean I'm, I'm supposed to believe I don't exist? That I, you know, I've got to get rid of my personality? I shouldn't have a personality. It's oftentimes the, how people interpret it as extinction, as Nibbana as extinction, as a total wipeout, <clears throat> a kind of murder of everything. <laughs> but in terms of you know, the awareness, then this is the gate, this is the, this is the, the entrance, the, the only possibility there is for any of us is it with through awareness itself 
and it's something that you you know you recognize you can't you can't make yourself through attaching to views about mindfulness but learning to recognize so in just sharing my own experience as a Buddhist monk this recognition you know this emptiness when I talk about the first three fetters, isn't that the Sakyaditi Silabhata Bharamasa? These are all the conditions that we create. You know, these are these are about culture, about cultural conditioning, about the ego, the identity with the body, the mental states, the memories, the emotions, the way we just take for granted, I'm like this, I feel like this, this is my body, I look like this, and and so forth. Then we, you know, this whole structure of self, we're questioning it. We're, we're beginning to look at it in a different way, rather than if we look at it, the self always from the thinking mind, it goes into our, it goes toward criticism. This is it should be. I shouldn't. I shouldn't get angry. I shouldn't be frightened. I'm celibate. I should have a pure heart, pure mind. Shouldn't have dirty thoughts. Shouldn't you know? I shouldn't envy people. I should be generous and kind. And and then we just you know we just feel hopeless because the vipaka kama may not be like that. We may not feel particularly loving and kind and compassionate in this very moment. We feel really angry and resentful and murderous. And then on a critical level, you shouldn't feel like that. That's not good. You know, if you're a real samana, you'll be having loving kindness. You should have metta. Says the person that's, that is, you know, the, the good advice that you don't want to hear. And it's true, you should have metta, and I'm not denying that. <laughs> but pointing to that is a structure of thought and conditioning. And so we create sakyaditi with it, and silapata uh, bharamasa, and then the result is vichikicha, doubt, uncertainty, in our, you know, about ourselves, about the world we live in, about everything, leads towards uncertainty and insecurity. So therefore, you know, these first three fetters, you know, the the awareness of them is the only way to, you know, that one can get beyond them. To get beyond my ego, my pride, my conceit, my my prejudices, my biases, how do you do that? And then, of course, the answer is mindfulness. Be mindful of them. And so then there's, there's, all conditions are impermanent. They are conditions. You know, every mental state you have, the physical body and everything else, is conditioned. It has a beginning and an end. And so, in, in this way, we we, we're not trying to attach to the view of anicca, but beginning to observe the way it is, 
the puto, the knowing of the Dhamma. So this is this is uh, the challenge we have in uh, you know and the, you know recognize that that the, this is the purpose of the holy life. This is why we're here. We're not here to have you know make everything perfect and and uh, you know get along and and uh, harmonious and and everything. It's just. And we're full of metta and kindness, and we we mature, and, and all you know the ideals of what we would like. We're here for realization of nibbana. Well, reality is here and now. It's not something that you you find later on. It's just learning to trust awakenness, a simple, imminent, awakened conscious experience, which seems like nothing really in terms of quality. You say, what, what good is that? You know, try to qualify it. And uh, it doesn't, you know, on the worldly level, it doesn't have any value. You know, you say somebody that's just a worldly person, they think, you know, you've wasted your life. Why do you want that? You could, you know, you, what kind of magical powers have you acquired, Ajahn Sumedho? Can you perform miracles? You have psychic powers. Can you read minds? Can you float in the air? Can you levitate off your mat? I can hardly get off the mat these days. <laughs> You know, and if I could, you know, I could float up and impress a lot of people, but it still, it might be in the big ego trip, too. They look at me. Well, P, I can float. Can you do this? <laughs> so having psychic powers isn't, isn't the answer. Accomplishments on the qualitative side. But it's, uh, you know, it's being able to to trust this sense of panya and sata working together. So you've got this, this wisdom and trust or faith. So sada is uh, translated as faith or confidence or trust. You get the idea of it. Not faith in believing in Buddhism or anything like that, but as you begin to, you know, practice and have insight, then you begin to develop trust because you're developing wisdom along with it. So you have these faculties, the sati and then and then panya with sadha. So wisdom and confidence. So I'll say in my own life as a Buddhist monk, you know, I had enough faith to start to get ordained, you know, I had enough confidence and interest in Buddhism to to kind of put forth the efforts to to shave the head and put on the robe. But I still had a lot of doubts, didn't have a lot of wisdom, a lot of views and fears and all that. But then as I began to develop the practice, then 
insight and the trust increased and the wisdom increased. You know, they balance each other out. So it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a sense of balance of factors. Well, this is just another way of talking, but what it really amounts to at the end of the day is awareness. The reality, realizing Nibbana, Nibbana is reality, non-attachment, that you can recognize through attentive, attentive awareness in the present. So in this uh, uh, retreat time, this is in the constant uh, reminder, <laughs> and uh, hopefully you know, uh, hopefully you are more confident than trusting. Not in me. I'm not asking you to trust me. But, uh, you know, it's, I'm not pointing at myself. But, uh, you know, I'm pointing at Dhamma, the way things are. So, I'm, you know, it's not a matter of what I think or what, you know, my... I don't like that if Ajahn Sumedho's teaching is not mine. <laughs> This is, I'm pointing at Dhamma, not at my teaching. You see, so it's, it's even, you know, to help the th put it in the right context, you know, so that, you know, we can delude ourselves with the conventions. So easy to, to put the personal touch onto it. And, uh, and that does have an effect on our consciousness. So this emphasis on Buddha Dhamma Sangha you know, it's like pointing at that rather than at my way of practice or, or you know, my attainments or anything like that. So that this Four Noble Truths, to me, is, is just a very skillful way of, of uh, teaching Dhamma because you're starting not from, you've got to have faith in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha or in me as your teacher or anything like that, but in you know, pointing at something so we all can recognize very immediately is dukkha. It's not esoteric or hidden or remote. So then this is just using this ordinary experience that we have in this realm, this sensitive realm that we're in, with these bodies and consciousness, by opening to dukkha, then the rest, the, the insights come through understanding. So I offer this as a reflection. <laughs>